morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about a book, a new book, or I don't know how new it is. Saul recently received it in the mail a while ago. I think we received it when we were away for Pacificon. Uh, okay. So September 1st. Oh, that's the one with the big map. Yes. It's called Flames of Freedom. Right. It's uh, powered by the Zvilander. Zvilander system. So... A while ago, I kickstarted this thing. Not a big thing in my house because he does it all the time, even though I, I tell him not to. I don't have anything out. Well, I do have stuff out right now, but I haven't kickstarted anything. He in lies all the time because every time he says that, <laughs> a box comes the next day. Well, that's because that was, the, I mean, this, I don't know when the Kickstarter was. I don't have that information top of my head, but it was, it's been at least a year or beginning of the year at least. So it's been a while. You know, Kickstarters don't come right away. Okay. So what is what is Flames of Freedom? It is a horror game, I guess. Okay, this is what this is the before Saul starts, I'll tell you. I was looking at the reviews oh. and this review says Flames of Freedom, tabletop RPG, mixes Hamilton with Stranger Things. <laughs> Although I think that's a very odd review title for a review, but <laughs> it is a very odd title. And that's not exactly the, but it, it kind of gets you kind of get the gist. Yeah, I think I think that's an interesting thing. Uh, it is a game that takes place during the colonial times, so obviously the reference to Hamilton during the Revolutionary War. The element of uh, supernatural or creepy gothic horror, maybe I don't know what they. Call I think it. that's kind of what it is because it's like most people are just going through their daily lives and everything is absolutely normal. Right. But if you actually look a little closer then you might see a werewolf or a vampire or crazy things out there, right? Right, right. That's basically the game. I'm going to, I think Bay is the one that told me that this game is kind of based or is this game that used a totally different system called Gothic, American Gothic or something like that. I think Gothic Horror or something like that. And Colonial Gothic. And it basically is the same world, but he, re he rewrote the rules to fit. Zweilander. Zweilander. And Zweilander, what is Zweilander? Zweilander is basically a D100 system, percentile system for skills, checks, and all that stuff. That is based on uh, Warhammer 1st and 2nd edition. Oh, so it's crunchy. So, yes, yes. So what happened was, this, this is, takes place at the time of Google+, Plus, back in the I don't even days. know what that means. Google+, Plus was this thing that was an experiment by Google. It was like was that the one that you were on with all the, yes. the weirdos? I mean, I'm sorry, the the gamer guys. <laughs> yes, dear, the weirdos. <laughs> so Google Plus was was unsuccessful. Didn't you, you all have Social to move media. all your stuff to a different one? Well, that's what happened. Is that Google and all its brilliance decided to take out or end Google Plus, which was very heartbreaking to Saul and his friends because they had all kinds of stuff on there, right? So they moved it over to, was it MeWe? Well, everybody, everybody dispersed into the into diaspora the <laughs> of uh, social media. So it was a social media platform. It wasn't, as, uh, it wasn't as popular as Facebook. But for gamers, the way you could store files and stuff like that was really easy for them. Or they really liked it. And so it was a really popular place for gamers. Uh, I don't know about any other groups of, uh, out there, but for gamers... It was quite popular. They'd rather be on Google Plus than for Facebook. 
whether for political reasons or... I don't think it had to do with political reasons. I think it had to do with convenience to them. Right, the way things work. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because Google is is a pretty good platform for... for, They have all the different things. They have Google Docs and spreadsheets and and Drive and all that stuff. But this was before all that stuff, so I think. Anyway, so on Google+, Plus, this guy, uh, the guy who invented the game, had his own Google Plus page, and on it he was had said that he had uh, he had changed or worked with uh, Warhammer and had been changing and changing it, basically house-ruling the crap out of it until it was like... Until he came up with his own system. Until it was basically different. It was different enough, so he called it Chart Hammer, right? Okay. Is it a Warhammer? I got it. Chart Hammer. And he played, called it that. And so what happened was is that when he was on Google+, because he had the, the file on it, and he, people kept asking for that file. So then it, basically being in the community that they, that they were, everybody was kind of like, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And so he would take these ideas and kind of some he would incorporate and some he wouldn't. And so there was a, like this living document that he was cultured in this, in this world of Google+. And somebody says, man, you should really sell this game. You should come up with your own well, Is this Richard Ioro? I don't or know. Or is it was. Daniel D. Fox? I think it was Daniel D. Fox. Okay. Is the, is the, is the guy who did Chart Hammer, right? So people were really enamored with it, and, and they kept saying, well, you should take it to, to Kickstarter. So he goes, okay, well, Kickstarter, blah, blah, blah. But you got to lose a chart hammer. That's a terrible name. Nobody's going nobody's, no, nobody's to kickstart that game. And it's a terrible name, right? Because it, it still references Warhammer. So it came out with Wielander, which I guess in German means great sword or long sword or big sword or something like that. I would look it up. I wouldn't trust Saul on this one. Right. So Zwielander is a D100 system, very akin to Warhammer. You so just just for those of us who don't just know what a D100 system is, I'm assuming that you are rolling two 10-sided dice and... Yes. Okay. Because a 100-sided dice is really hard to come by. There is a 100-sided die, but they roll forever, and there's always an argument of what it actually... Because <laughs> it's so small. It's, well, it's big, but the sides are really small, so is <laughs> what side is the top side is always... <laughs> An argument. So, so the, 2D10s is 2D10s better. 2D10s are different colors. Yes. Oh, and one, yeah. one represents the 10s yeah. and one represents the And if, the you're really, if you really are um, precise about it, they have D10s that have the, the zero. Yes. The 10s. Yeah. 10s, 20, 30. So then you can have a 10-sided dice with just one to 10 and a 10-sided dice with the, with the 10 to 10 to zero, zero, right? Something like that. You lost me, but that's okay. The 100, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I never thought I never thought that it would be like a system that people would use to make other games, but they came out with. Uh, oh, so then it's neither one of those guys because these are the guys that did Flames of Freedom. Oh, well, Daniel Day. I don't know. Anyway, Mira, Richard Orio, and Daniel D. Fox. I think Daniel D. Fox is the one. Hold on, hold on. I got Zoe Lander, so I go look at it. We won't discuss all of his the books on his shelves. I was sitting here playing a game on Zoom yesterday, and. I looked over at the shelf and realized that he took out something and he put a bunch of, of gaming books there. Where the hell did those gaming books come from? That's not fair. I'm not here to answer the question. Oh, yeah, so Daniel D. Fox. The- Daniel D. Fox. That's a great name, by the way. <laughs> I'm sure he's a lovely man. <laughs> lovely man. So Daniel D. Fox is probably... Well, I should look up uh, look up Oriro, the first guy on this. But anyway... You can take that part out. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what was I? <laughs> anyway, so... 
Flames of Freedom. That's what we're doing this episode on. So Flames of Freedom, very similar to Zweelander. Zweelander is this huge book. It's They're over, both huge books. over okay. 500 pages. And I guess Flames of Freedom wants to do a little bit more. And I think it's 650 pages. It's a lot. It's a big book. Yesterday when Sal was telling me the stats of this book, he did it like our favorite announcer for pitchers when they come up to play for the Giants. <laughs> this is Flames of Freedom. And it... How, did you tell me how much it weighed? No, I did not tell you. I said, <laughs> you said it's, it's a 650, 650 pager. pager. <laughs> yes. The mechanic is, D, is D100. It's simple percentile dice. It's based on your stats. You add a skill, and that's the percentage you have to roll or under. Seems pretty simple. Uh, there is, uh, what is situation modifiers. They're like plus or minus 10%. Just remember when, it, when he says it seems pretty simple, that means that there's going to be something you're going to roll the dice and then they're going to tell you you have to do something else. Too. No, 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 no. It's pretty simple. The The damage is uh, is based on your stat that you have. Like if it's based on your strength, it's based on the tens, of the tens number of your of your attributes. It's if you have a 45, then your strength is, your strength, but your strength uh, bonus for damage is four. Right. Wow, and coming from the D and D world, a forty-five in strength is pretty, pretty big. <laughs> whatever it's percentiles. Okay, so check. that's why, that's why the numbers are so high. So the higher the number of your, of your whatever you have, then the better, right? Uh, it adds this thing called fury dice, which kind of gives it element of uh, of excitement. They or, explode. Yes, yes. So much like uh, what is it? Feng uh, Shui. Feng Shui has the exploding dice. Is it? Also does a Savage Worlds is what it really Oh, that's what, okay. Basically, if you roll the highest number on Maybe the die. Maybe it's not Feng Shui. The, the highest number on the die. In this case, it's only a D6. If you roll a six, you can re-roll that six and add it to your total. Which is uh, when Jolene says, I hope we're playing on roll 20 because I don't want to figure all that out. <laughs> is that that difficult? Unless you keep rolling sixes, then you got to keep uh, adding all those sixes. That's six times ten. I can do that one. Yeah. Not times ten, just six plus six plus six for every six that you roll. So if you roll ten sixes. Oh wow, yeah, that is that is a lot of sixes. Hardly, I don't think it's really possible. But so then six times four. As long as you know your times tables, you're okay. No, that you can actually roll six, six four times, ten times in a row. I know that's what I'm saying. Okay, so (laughs) so so that's an element that they use to make it so you can do like one shot kills and stuff. Probably doesn't happen very often, but it could if you're very lucky. There's a lot of options for players, right? When I told Jolene how many archetypes that you could pick to make your character. So to make your character is super easy as far as the stats. It's you roll three tens, add 25. Bada bing, bada boom. Just like the old days, like D&D, you roll three six-side dice for each stat. In this case, you roll three ten-siders and add 25 to it and that's your so you should have pretty good stats with that with three t- with three unless you your, roll ones on then you know so the attributes in this game are combat brawn agility perception intelligence willpower and fellowship so that covers almost any of uh, all the different uh interpersonal things that go right. on yeah and you have your physical things right yeah the Fury Dice is for luck. A lot of uh, a lot of options. So after you got your character, you get to pick what... Well, there's other things, but you get, one of the big things is you get to pick the archetype. And basically, that's like your job, or that's what you do in, in colonial times, right? I think a lot of these came because of Kickstarter uh, goals were met, because there's 75 archetypes. Which, in my opinion, and I've... <laughs> 
I've only played this game once, and I think it was before the book came out, was twice. I played it. No, I didn't play it twice. I played it once. You played it with me, and then you played it with Bay. No, I didn't play it with Bay. Oh. Because he wanted to use the rules. Wow. The, the crunchy rules. It was good, though. I understand. But I'm just going to tell you right now that 75 archetypes is a lot. For me, I don't remember having that choice. No, no. That was pre-made. That's why. Okay. Correct. But, not, but it just... That seems like a lot, because when you're making a character, that's a lot of stuff to read. So I would just, I would decide kind of what you want to be and just look at those. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, I think that's the best way to do it. 75 archetypes is a lot. And archetype is basically like, uh, it gives you your skills and it gives you bonuses to your uh, stats. Because I'm just saying that if Steve May, and I'm using his name because he knows this already, is, was to look at this book to make a character, he would literally have to read all 75 of them. And then he would have that analysis paralysis of trying to decide what he really wants, right? So if you're going to go into it and look at all 75, I'm going to say, have your character made, know what you want to be, and then just kind of glance at three of them or something, because that's a lot to go through. Well, you probably, probably the best thing, I w what I would do is I would just give people the list and which sounds something like you might do, right? Because some things are not anything you want to do. Yeah, or, you don't want to be the doctor or you don't want to be whatever. For example, I mean, they, they, they get pretty nitty-gritty. 75 is a lot, right? So you can be an artist, an apothecary. I think he's right. You could you could give them Gambler. a list because then they're going to narrow it down. Fur trader. Uh, somebody who rides, a, who does a message message runner on a horse. So there's all these, I mean, and some of them are like, oh, I don't want, I don't, they're not even interesting to certain people. I wouldn't want to be a fur trader. <laughs> fur trader, right. So, I mean, 75 is a lot. And so guerrilla war fighter and all these other things. So some of them, I would say half of them, you can easily just say, okay, I'm not even interested in that. And then basically you could probably have like, I think you could work the list down to like five that you're kind of interested in. Oh, I like to play these this type of character or you could say i want to be a fighter and then the gm could say okay here's the five that might fit that profile correct right that'll be a, a session zero i'm telling definitely, you people. definitely so jolene doesn't like the fact that there's too uh, it's many it's not that i don't like it it's just that i would i find it intimidating <laughs> so with, with that many choices i think i think you could a player can find a character archetype that they would like to play i would hope so <laughs> i would hope so i mean and that's a, that's a lot i mean that I mean, it does get pretty specific. I mean, there's some, like, a writer, like... I understand why, if, if he made this a, a Kickstarter thing where people told him what they would like if, they, if certain goals were met, I can see that because it's like, and just D&D &D is always coming out with new, each, each, each version of D&D &D is always coming out with new character classes, right, that you can be. Well, even the, even the what is it, the... Like, they're not splat books, but the the additions like uh, Xanthar's Guide and Always Mordecai, have they, extra, co they come up with yeah. extra characters, even races that people can be. So and rules people expansions. love that. Yeah. People love that. So I can see James, why not so much. Players love it. Yeah. <laughs> so so where where does that one come from? Because <laughs> I gotta get that book now. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> it's always a pain in the butt. So. 650 pages. There's a lot in this book, right? Well, 75 of those are going to be about the of the characters. So right. So 75 off the bat. Each 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 archetype is one page. Woo! That's 75 pages right there. Uh, there's also skills. So it has 18 skills, right? And each skill is talked about and gives examples of and blah blah blah. So that's another you know so many pages. I don't remember. I didn't count them. And I would consider this a crunchy system. I would. 
uh, the way it plays, the way it runs. Uh, but combat for people who think it's a, it's ridiculous. It is literally ten pages of combat rules. Five and a half pages of that is charts. Now it's not charts that you have to look up. No, these are like crit charts. Like if you roll really well or you get uh, you get take too much damage. I print those out. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good idea. Uh, uh, put them on your GM screen or whatever. So those crit charts, you probably won't need them all the time, but they. But so just him telling me about the crit charts reminds me of space opera because that's where we have first crit charts. <laughs> so that this still leaves you know the, well, what is the rest of the book, right? If, and so there's also rules of how to play. What is a role playing game? All that stuff that you got to get out of the way. Uh, sometimes. I wish they wouldn't put that in, but somebody who but they, they never played, yeah. never played, might want to pick up a 650-page uh, role-playing game and try to play it. Probably not. That's what I was guessing. But anyway, so they put that in there. So you know, there's a little bit of page taken away for that stuff. How things work, how to do skill checks and stuff like that. That's an important part of the game. So there's rules about that. There's also rules about coins. It's like a a coin is like a Benny plot point. Whatever you want to call it from different games, it basically is like a save my ass coin, right? You can re-roll a roll that you just did, stuff like that. That's the power of the coin. Which, if you play games a lot, you know that's an important thing to have. Huh? Yeah. So it basically it, it it's kind of like a, a save your save your butt. It's character. when it's like when Saul puts the chits the chips the poker chips that he bought yes. the the square ones out on the table. That's when you know that. You're going to need them because if he's giving them to you, you're probably going to need well, them. Well, like any, almost all games have it, like yeah. Star Trek, uh, the, 2D20 system. The Dice Pool. Uh, Savage Worlds has them. Uh, I don't think uh, Tales from the Loop has them. No. But anyway, a lot of modern games, a lot of role-playing games now have them. Uh, they've called different things. And as a GM, you could always put them out there anyway. If, you, if, you, if your players roll ones all the time, it might be nice. Yeah. So they're able to, I think they start off a game with one, maybe, yeah. And then, uh, so there's rules about that. Uh, the bulk of the rules is setting, obviously, right? Because uh, right. basically a lot of people don't know about colonial, colonial. or the revolutionary period, basically. And uh, which I am a little bit, uh, as a U.S. historian, a little bit faulting in that part. But I, I do remember reading quite a bit more than your average person about the Revolutionary War because I had to cover it in my U.S. history studies. Also your political science studies. Oh, there's that too. and Yeah, that's true. So I know quite a bit about the political, political side of it, with Thomas Paine and all the people who incited the revolution and why they did the things they did, at least the political reasons, right? And uh, But the, a lot of the, the culture stuff, you know, the stuff that, the way life was, I really not really uh, know too much about it. So this game has a rather large section about life in colonial times and revolutionary period. Then there's life during the war, right? That's a really big section. And because it takes place during the revolutionary period where Native Americans, uh, First Nations, the people who were here before the Europeans came, they were a huge part of the Revolutionary War. I mean, they were used as allies. They were to certain groups. And, and so what I thought was really interesting is that the, this game takes the time and the space to talk about each different nation and their culture and how they differ. Even within the Native American tribes, obviously there was differences in cultures and obviously the differences in, in their beliefs. 
So this book takes takes the time to talk about m- many of the tribes that were in that area. You could watch Last of the Mohicans to kind of get a... Well, they talk uh, about Mohicans, and, 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 you know, and they talk about how the... Which is interesting because I didn't know that, but uh, what I didn't know is that the Mohicans were actually pushed out of there previously. Mm-hmm. And so the, the natives that were there were not Mohicans, but uh, I forget what tribe... But because they were pushed around and by the United States government here and there, these true tribes basically now consider themselves, see themselves as one. I forget what the name of the other tribe is. Every tribe of that area is, not every tribe, but the, the major tribes are talked about and given space. To You're talking talk, about talk. all up and down the East Coast. Right, right. Correct. So I think that was pretty neat. I think it's pretty interesting instead of just saying, well lumping all native americans into one group well i don't think you can really do that anymore if you're going to put out a gaming book with that particular subject matter in it you're going to need to have a a cultural person or you know do your homework culture you're going to need to have people from those tribes or those peoples talk to you or be involved in the creation of the book so that you can make sure yeah and that's exactly what he did he had a cultural consultants and and, or writers of, of those tribes write stuff for the I'm sure people will still criticize you, but at least you did your... Right. Uh, So I think that's important. You look at some books made 10, I was going to say 20, 30 years ago, obviously, but even 10 years ago, they didn't take that into consideration. They would just lump all Native American tribes in one group. Unless you talk about like the Lakota, right? Or or the the, the Iroquois nation. But they don't necessarily... It depends on where you grew up and what history that you were taught. So, I mean, in the United States, which the... Where you grew up in the United States probably influenced your ideas of how the Native Americans were, right? Because mm. you were taught, like in California, they talk about the, what are the ones in Monterey County? He's giving me a blank. Yeah, like, yeah, I, I draw, I'm drawing a blank. Uh, the, the, I forget what they were called. But anyway, if you grew up in the Northeast, you'll learn a lot about the Iroquois. Right. And all of those kind of different things. Well, the, See what the, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. The problem with the Native American tribes of California is that they weren't... Uh, Obviously, what the problem was is that it was t- living was too good here, right? They didn't have to build huge structures. Well, by the time the they, elements. by the time the United Statesian, or I can't even say that. Yes, the United Statesians came through, although they weren't quite the United Statesians at the time. The Western Europeans. Well, no, because the Spanish had oh, already had already yes, come right. up and down the coast, so then a lot of the natives were already they're already dead, dead yeah, due, to, due to the disease, right? So yeah, and, and uh, but my point is that it depends on where you grow up your history and stuff because like people from that aren't from the United States or haven't may not have any may have false ideas about things like I oh. was just speaking to someone who didn't realize the Aztecs and Incas were not the same people. <laughs> so Yes, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> so so and some people may not know that, right? That they're from Well the different. Mayans, right? For the, yeah. the well Mayans were at least at least in sort of in Mexico. Well they were in Mexico. Well, and then there's you know the the tribe that Saul's people come from the the Otomi. They when they saw the Aztecs coming, they just left and went higher up into the oh, mountains. Those people are crazy. They said, <laughs> and there's a whole bunch of them. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah, we don't want our hearts cut out. So yes. yeah, so they did uh, leave the area. So there's all kinds of different Native Americans and different cultures. So it's kind of important to to recognize that to recognize yeah. it and to try to get it correct by having those yes. people help you with it. Yeah, I think, uh, what was I going to say? Some people take criticism of that, too. I think, uh, unfortunately, there was this list going around of RPG companies that were too woke, right? And this, unfortunately, this publisher 
got on that list because he cared too much about he hired too many uh, uh well, consultants. Then that list should just be burned okay i'm <laughs> well, sorry well I, regardless of what that list i i think uh I, I i thought it was kind of strange because when i read this book and i was looking at it, i'm like what's so uh what is it so what's so offensive other, other than taking different people's uh, views into consideration into consideration right and i thought it was pretty neat taking a few american uh indian they call it um, american indian classes back in the day and it was really enlightening there's all kinds of questions of how many natives lived here it depends on different aspects say different numbers but another thing i liked about this book is so that takes place that takes a few pages quite a few pages of the of the book then there's the the gm section which tells you how to run a colonial game or revolutionary game and then there's the gm secret stuff right that has uh, all this the weird stuff that's happening the machinations in the in the because it is a gothic is a gothic right. horror right yeah. all these things are happening a good uh, there was a show called uh, was it sleepy hollow yeah sleepy hollow where this guy comes comes back from ichabod the dead crane. ichabod crane right so in in that show ichabod crane was like this not only was he Ichabod Crane, but he was involved in this nefarious, not involved, but no, he was, it was, he was a, he was a spook, a, a spy. A spy. And, and so there was this, there was this secret uh, group of people who were trying to thwart American government and stuff like that. And it involved the, the occult and all that stuff. So it kind of reminds me of, of this game is similar of, or, or try, is trying to emulate. If you, if you're looking for a, a TV show that, that kind of is represents this kind of a theme or what's going on. That's a pretty cool show to watch when they go back in time and, yeah, and deal not, with that not time in period. The modern day, not time in the modern day time. There's also adversaries. Now, what's, I thought this was pretty interesting. Instead of calling it a monster section, because adversaries are monsters. Some of them, ghosts, golems, all the, you know, the typical stuff that you might find in a gothic horror thing. And then there's just people like redcoats. <laughs> Red coat spy, red coat master, and all this other stuff. Freemasons. Freemasons are bad, evil guys in this thing. Oh, really? Because they're you know they're they're working to, against the United States. Oh, according to this myth. Okay, that's the alternate history. Yeah, I'm sorry. sure. Yeah, so sorry to all the Freemasons out there. Actually, all, I know all the people with the Nicola that watch Nicolas Cage movies <laughs> and treasure, 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 what is it national treasure, national treasure. Yes. So that's a good. That's a very huge section, and then. There's a bibliography, which I thought was amazing because, like, being that we both are masters in history and stuff, we deal with bibliographies all the time. Bibliographies are important to historians or any scholar, actually, if you're political science or any kind of academics. And this guy's bibliography is amazing. I mean, there is books that I have on my shelves for United States history. There's books on my shelves that have to do with original sources, which are very important to historians. Especially ancient and medieval historians. Well, even even uh, United States historians. That's true. So it is, uh, I forgot how many pages, at least six pages of uh, bibliographical notes. That's a good bibliography. Yeah, it's a b- b- good bibliography. And, and, if, and if you want to know more about stuff of that time period, uh, some of those are really good books. And I was really impressed by that. I mean, uh, I, I think that what it, that means to me is that this guy... Uh, used a lot of information. He did research, yeah, right? he did research. Not just look stuff up on the internet. No, not that research. He actually probably read, got the books and looked at them and see what they said. And I think it was pretty interesting. And I think it shows in the way this game is put together that the person who uh, wrote 
this book. Well, you would think about if you think about it, if you're writing, if you're putting in historical actual details into the to tell people what's going on, you would have to have a bibliography because otherwise you could get into trouble. Well, I mean, otherwise you just don't know where this guy's coming from, right? Yeah. And you can look up stuff and uh, what the information that he has, what was at his disposal. So after the bibliography, which is not the end of the book, which is amazing, uh, is, of course, you have like... Uh, the index? No, not yet. No, not yet. So there is, of course, there's like the character uh, sheets. There's sheets, because it is a country system, there's sheets about overland travel, a uh, helper, like a tracker and stuff. And then there is maps, maps of the area, different maps, period specific or period specific looking. When I look at maps, I, I look at Google Maps, I look at maps uh, on the internet. And sometimes if you're looking for a specific type of map, like I'm currently looking at World War II maps and using the Google Earth for World War II just doesn't work, right? Because there's huge cities where there was nothing before in World War II, especially in France. But I'm right? sure if you use the Google Maps and you, you go to France, then you could go from there and find older maps. Right. But it's pretty difficult. But instead of doing that, th th these guys just put those maps and there's quite a few of them. And it's not like one or two maps. There's like five, six, almost 10 pages of and maps. And this is the one that you got that big map, that cloth right. map. <laughs> yeah, which was amazing. It's, it is amazing. And then the end of the book. The index? The index, right. So all that also on the, there is a large map of uh, the East Coast that's glued to the back of the, the, glued to the back cover. Not glued, but, but. It's the back cover? No, no. It's actually a map. A that fold you, out? You can pull out and take out of the book. Which I have not done that because he wouldn't want to hurt the book. Yeah, I wouldn't hurt the book. And I got the cloth from that one. So the the Kickstarter was amazing because I paid like eighty bucks or something like that for for the all in. Even though and but all in wasn't was just the book. The book itself is like probably Six, 70, it's sixty five dollars. Sixty five dollars. Yeah. Okay. So sixty five dollars, fifteen dollars for extra for whatever. So what I got was the coins. I got a set of dice, the cloth map, which alone that thing probably run 50 60 bucks but which i thought was kind of amazing so it was a pretty good deal uh, i don't know if you can even find those maps uh, that cloth map on sale but it looks it's huge i thought it was like going to be like something that could fit on the on the end of a table no it'll fit on the whole table so so it's pretty cool a very well run campaign very well put together book it has a ribbon for it nice red ribbon to save your mark place marker on we did i did run uh it uh they had a free quick start rules i ran i ran that it was really fun i thought it went really well i did ignore the the crunchy rules were cuz you get ap which is a not ap so you get points to do your actions right and I ignored that. I just said, you know, I did like the D&D style. You just, you go, I go, you go, I go. And then later on, we played with Bay, and he incorporated those points. And one of my, and it's a crunchy system. There's no way you can get around that. But one of my uh, co-players that was playing with us, Morgan, he goes, he goes, I think if I were to play this game, I would want to run it using the G20, uh, the Roll20, G20, the Roll20 uh, character sheet where where it rolls all the dice and handles all the all the crunchy stuff where you just click on right i want to hit i want to roll the hit and it does all the damage and stuff so i thought that was pretty interesting comment that he said i think there's some people out there who already play games even though they're face to face they use was what is that one for D? &D? I forget the name of it but anyway 
It's like a character sheet, but also does all the dice rolling and stuff. You could use roll twenty. You could roll. You could open roll twenty and use the dice rolling the character sheets. And instead of rolling dice, I know people. Is the character sheet created on roll twenty? Yes. Okay. Then then yes. It's not like the shadow run character sheet that we that someone put up there, and it took us a long time to figure out. Oh yeah, yeah. No, the, I think the. I don't know if Daniel Day Fox Fox. Mm-hmm. Daniel D Fox. Daniel D. <laughs> Daniel Day, <laughs> some actor. <laughs> Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah. No, I don't know how it works. I I know you could definitely hire some team to do it. You yeah. could probably hire Roll Twenty team to make a character sheet, so it looks nice. It does all the bells and, and whistles and works good. And other times it's a labor of love by somebody out there who can code. Yeah. Right. And that's the Shadowrun one, what? Because it was for fifth edition. It, it was a little glitchy and it, uh, it, it may have it may not have been glitchy but you have to know where you're putting your numbers into right. it is the is the thing and shadow runs very hard so right. i don't and know it, how hard this yeah, one is yeah too. no this one was a lot easier okay yeah. and it's not as crunchy as shadow but you know if you're face to face if you're lucky enough to be playing face to face with people it's okay to get the the ta- the the dice out and the the little charts and oh, stuff oh yeah 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 morgan was saying that because he doesn't want to get into the he whole doesn't want to have to do the crunchiness yeah, yeah. So he just he rather just play with the with with the roll twenty, which I find interesting because Morgan loves to read the rules and figure <laughs> out how it how it works. That's true. But I can also understand. I don't like the crunchiness. I, if there's a chart that I have to look up something on, it sometimes is you know frustrating. Right, right. So all in all, I think this is a really well put together game. The rules uh, are really good. If you like crunchiness, if you don't like crunchy, if you if you like fate accelerated. And that's about as much as you can stand in crunch. You, this game is system is probably not for you, but the world that it takes place in is pretty amazing, I think. And it can be very educational, right? Because you can learn quite a bit from, from the information that's in this book. And if you have a really good GM that already knows the system right. and the rules, then it'll be less crunchy for you. I mean, it'll still be crunchy, but they'll tell you exactly what you need to roll. Right. And and, I don't, and like, I, I think any system, even fifth edition shadow run, I think, uh, which this one isn't as complicated uh, because it's not different systems for different characters. You learn it, right? You, I mean, people think that D and D is crunchy and people think that certain other games are crunchy. Like, well, we played it. We like space opera. We've played it. I ran it. We, for years and years. And to the point where after a while it was like, Oh, this is, no problem here this is a, oh i hit i'm gonna try to hit well, what kind of army it just happens automatically it's like not automatically but it happens quite easily whatever you you learn you're gonna learn it right, right. and then you then it'll be easier to play so i think this one isn't quite a huge uh, steep learning curve but you know for for modern game it is a little bit i think they're coming out what they came out uh, they had a kickstart for this one called blackbird which I didn't. I did not kickstart. I did not kickstart. It was a dark, dark fantasy set of rules, so I thought it was not my my, my bag. I do actually think about games that I could possibly put on the table, and if there's no possible way it's good, I think there's no possible way it's going to be on the table. I can get it to the table. I'm not going to kickstart it. I'm pretty sure that's not true. By looking at my bookshelf, none of those are, are kickstarters, <laughs> and some of those were like. Finds from the flea market, mm-hmm. gamer flea markets. Mm-hmm. So if you like the setting, if you'd like the set of rules from Zoolander, this is a no-brainer to buy. I mean, it's really interesting. It's pretty cool setting. The setting is very cool. I really liked it. And you can actually use real-life events 
in the setting, right? And, and, and there's tons of stories out there and there's tons of uh, information, especially from, the, from that time period because it was a ton- yeah. it was, everybody wrote everything down. And so it was pretty I don't neat. know about everybody writing everything down, but a but lot of it was. There's a lot of information yeah. out there, unlike, let's say. And know, there's a lot of novels about that time. Period, right. So. Right. Right. Even TV shows. So as Wielander uh, powered Flames of Freedom. Uh, there is a little thing in the beginning about diversity, about things that might make uh, people queasy about reading it as far as like... That's their problem. That's their problem, right. It's an important point about, about diversity, about playing African-Americans in this game, playing gender identity issues in this game. And he specifically states that if you have, if you're basically a bigot and all that stuff, this game is not for you. It's encouraged to play people of different races, people of mixed race and stuff like that. So I think it's, it's an important part to put in the beginning of the book. Some people may not like it, but it's, I think it's the way the world is going in that direction. A lot of interesting stories you, you can play from this set of rules, from this setting, adding a little bit of the occult and gothic horror. American gothic horror is pretty neat. There you go. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. You have a good day.